0: Just a couple things before we start on the message today. Um, we have um, a a building consultant, design consultant, architectural uh, person coming in this week. Um, I know that we, we've had um, basically... We've been here almost a year, Judy and I have been here almost a year, and, and people are typically in two categories. Those that love change and want change, agitate for change, and those that want to leave everything the same as they are. Some people love change, some people don't like change, and so we've had all, all kinds of requests. Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? What are we going to do? And so, so just so you know, we're beginning the process of change. We're going to be upgrading um, and working on a master plan of development for the property and this facility etc and so just to let you know we're, we're beginning that process so those of you that have been waiting for change here we go okay those of you that are afraid of change we're gonna involve everybody you know just in the process information we will let everybody know what's going on but just so you know we're starting that process so we're also we're just beginning this week the recruitment and the beginning process of connect groups which start this fall. So you'll be hearing a lot more about that exciting, exciting things to come in the fall uh, with connect groups. So we'll let you know more as it develops. Well Judy and I celebrated one of our wedding anniversaries in Hawaii and one of the first things I noticed about this tropical paradise was that the weather was the same every single day. It was sunny, 80 degrees, there was an ocean breeze, a little rain early afternoon, then the sun came out again. And this weather pattern seemed very consistent, it seemed very predictable, and I I thought, you know, I I could get used to this weather. One afternoon as I was laying in the sun by the pool looking out over the Pacific Ocean, I struck up a conversation with a groundskeeper at the condominium complex where we were staying. And I asked him, I said, how do you like living and working in this tropical paradise? And he answered me, he said, well, I grew up in eastern Washington. He said, I like the variety of the seasons, the changes. He said, the weather here is always the same. It gets monotonous and boring. I thought, are you serious? Maui or Washington? Washington, Maui, you've got to be insane. Well, many of us would like to live in a tropical paradise. Some of you nodded your head when I talked about the weather in Hawaii. Comfortable, consistent, and predictable. We have friends that actually moved to Hawaii after spending 30 years in Seattle, and they, they like the weather in Hawaii, actually. And many of us would also like our lives to be a tropical paradise. Comfortable, consistent, predictable. We don't want surprises, no change, no stress, just paradise all the time. Unfortunately, life is not so simple, comfortable, or predictable. Life is not paradise all the time. In fact, life is not so much paradise as it is process. We experience change, rain, snow, hail, ice, wind, storms, something called seasons. Seasons. We all experience different seasons, change in circumstances and new challenges. And if you're like me, you will ask God from time to time, what happened to my paradise? Well, today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about seasonal changes there's a book called isaiah a guy who wrote isaiah he was a prophet and he uses an illustration from agriculture or farming and different seasons this is all about god's farming process and how god accomplishes different tasks in different seasons and i'd like us to read about it first as we look at seasons of life uh, if you can turn with me to isaiah the book of isaiah it's on page 576 In the Bible in front of you, page 576, it's Isaiah 28, starting with verse 23. Isaiah 28, starting with verse 23. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and harrowing the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cummin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not, is not threshed with a sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be ground to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over it, his horses do not grind it. All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. Today we're going to talk about farming. Now the closest most of us city folk get to farming is mowing our lawn. Okay, I'll, I'll admit that's the, true. But this parable about farming has some very significant lessons to teach us about life, about God's farming process. The primary recipient of this farming parable is the nation of Israel. Israel was constantly wandering away from their relationship with God. And God always had to work to bring them back into relationship. Isaiah, the prophet, draws a picture of how God chooses to work in the life of the Israelites to bring different seasons to effect change. And the purpose of these seasons God's farming process is to bring judgment to purge and to cleanse the people in order to bring a restoration of relationship. God is always the pursuing God. We wander and he pursues and tries to bring us back into relationship with him. See, when everything was going well, the people forgot their need of God. Now, I, I, I know we don't ever do that. But God would bring tough times to remind them. So this morning, I want you to think of yourself as a farm. You have different fields, different areas in your life. You have a wheat field, a barley field, a rye or caraway or cumin fields. And these may represent different areas of your life. Work or home or school or the role as a parent or spouse, a role as an employer or employee, a father or mother, an area of great passion or affection, your values and priorities. We all have many different areas in each one of our lives. And we have different seasons. For the farmer, the seasons are very significant. There's a season for everything. There's a time to plow, there's a time to plant, there's a time to cultivate, there's a time to harvest, and a time to thresh the harvest. So let's look at our different fields and the different seasons and how our farmer God works to accomplish his work in you, his farm. It all starts with the plowing, plowing, which is a preparation process. Plowing breaks up the old dirt and softens the soil. Plowing gets below the surface and breaks up the hard-packed earth. It's to prepare for God's work, the farmer. If no plowing, what happens when you plant? Nothing. The the birds will eat the seed. It just sits on on the top. So how does God plow in your life? How does he break up the old dirt? How does he soften up the soil? How does God get below the surface to prepare for his work? And what does it feel like? What does it feel like? Does it hurt? Is it frightening? Is it uncomfortable? Yes, to all three of those questions. So how does God plow in our lives? One way he plows is relationships. Take marriage, for instance. Marriage, what happens in a marriage? We enter our marriage with our opinions, our ways, and our habits. We've been forming this hard-packed field for a long time. We have a shell of protection of invulnerability, of selfishness, even personal gratification. So what happens now? The, the plow of marriage begins to break up that hardness. My opinions, my ideas, and my way to do things. And marriage may look a little like this. He likes to read. She likes television. He likes to go to bed early. She just starts to get going at 10 p.m. She likes chick flicks. He likes action-adventure. She likes to spend money. He likes to save money. She loves to shop. The moment his feet hit the hard tile floor of the mall, he's instantly exhausted and in desperate need of rest. She thinks stoplights are ordained of God to establish order. He thinks stoplights are the tool of the devil to interrupt the schedule. On the freeway, she likes to leave a good distance between herself and the car in front. He believes that's a total waste of space and keeps traffic from moving smoothly. Besides, people drive faster or get out of the way when he's on their tail. He likes smooth jazz music. She likes R&B. Get the picture? A lot of plowing going on. By the way, I'm not, I'm not stereotyping men and women. I'm just describing my marriage. Okay? Marriage functions as a God-ordained plow breaking up the hard pan, getting below the surface of the soil. Is it painful? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes. Is it uncomfortable at times? Yes. But nothing will ever grow without plowing. The plow of relationship. What about children, having children? Okay. Is there any plowing in that? Children bring out the best and the worst in all of us. And I can just imagine God up there observing a newlywed couple. Both work, they have plenty of money, they spend plenty of time together, get lots of sleep, they're busy buying clothes and furniture, drive nice cars, they go out to eat all the time, and God says, they're having entirely too much fun, I'm going to give them a baby. (laughs) All right, I see the nods, here we go. So baby comes, and you know, she used to dote on her husband. Now she dotes on baby. When the new parents enter the room, he disappears somehow, and the entire focus is on baby. Remember those great Facebook picture posts of her husband? Gone. Gone. All you now see is baby pictures, baby videos, and baby, baby stories. He's been replaced by a baby. And now he's stuck behind the video camera, disappears completely from all photographs until he's 73. And they say, man, you aged. Plowing, is it plowing? Yeah, children being plowing. Having children requires patience, self-denial, understanding, wisdom, self-control. It's very demanding. Does having children do plowing? Yes, absolutely. How about roommates? Roommates. College dorm or shared apartment, whatever that might be. About 15 years ago, right out of college, our daughter Brittany moved to Los Angeles to pursue music. She had a new truck, a little money in the bank, clothes, and a place to sleep on a friend's couch. Her journey could be described in Roommates. roommates. One time she joined two other 20-something gals in renting a house. And they needed a fourth person so they could, they could pay the rent. So they got one. An elderly woman in her 70s. Brittany thought, this would be nice. Uh, A nice grandmother type, not so much. This lady was an elder nightmare. Angry, cranky, moody, confrontational, as difficult as she could possibly be. Among her many antics, she would remove the toilet paper from the bathroom, a big problem if you're not paying attention. And Brittany wasn't. (laughs) She tells stories about trying to love the unlovable roommate. Is that plowing? Yes, it is. Relationships pr- re- produce plowing tensions that break up our hard-packed earth. And you know what? It usually hurts. It usually hurts. Or maybe it was a church relationship. One person confessed, I've never been hurt so bad before, and he was a Christian. Chances are you opened up your soil and trusted, therefore it hurt all the worse. Hurt can be magnified by its proximity in relationship. The closer you are, the more it hurts relationships God also plows through circumstances circumstances tests or trials or fires health crisis a health crisis it breaks up our dependence on the physical a financial disaster breaks up our focus on money I mean, out of work it breaks our focus on and uh, security on self retirement what in the world am I going to do now the emotional distress or uh, depression death of a loved one God plows through circumstances. And through plowing, God softens our hearts and opens our hearts in a new way and brings a new receptivity to God. God plowed Israel. God plows us. And it's painful, but if we're to be open to God's seed to become fruitful, we must be plowed. But, praise God, plowing Lasts only for a season. It doesn't last forever. After God plows, he moves on to the next season, which is planting. Planting. Planting is the teaching process. Planting seed is the injection of God's life into our life. It's described as God's word. John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In him was life. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's word is the seed. God's word is the seed. It refers not only to the written word that we have, it also refers to the living word, Jesus. And this life is injected into our plowed and open lives by the ingestion of truth, the Bible, and the infilling of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with truth and the Holy Spirit, we begin to grow, we begin to produce life. And the more open we are by the grace of God and his plowing process, the deeper his life can penetrate our life. Now there's a penetration of the seed. How does God the Holy Spirit penetrate all the recesses of our life? Now, this is a huge topic because it has to do with with holiness and sanctification becoming more like Jesus. You know, we we can really complicate it a lot and get into theological discussion. But very simply, we must empty those spaces so there's room for Jesus, the living word. Give him access to all the spaces. Hold nothing back. It's a matter of our will. In our mind saying I'm going to empty so you can fill me now there's an interesting fact of agriculture in order for a seed to grow it must first die die and I, I want to be careful not to carry this analogy too far however suffice it to say something must die before life occurs we have here the transformation of the seed the seed is transformed In John 12, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So growth requires death, and that's death to self, but it also may mean death to my way of thinking or death to my ideas. Giving up my old ideas in order to learn new ideas we always taught our kids the true meaning of Christmas. And when we talked about that other guy, we taught him the truth and the strong association that he had with, with, with Christmas. However, our daughters had friends down the street that still believed in the other guy. And when they told the friends the truth, we received a very concerned phone call from the mother that said, would you please, would you please rein in your sweet little girls? Because in order to learn the truth, they had to give up the old. It's another one like, like the tooth fairy. Now, since believing in the tooth fairy did not seem to interfere with theological history and truth, we played along with it. But we knew that our kids knew when they informed us that all their other friends, gave, tooth fairies gave them a dollar per tooth instead of a quarter per tooth. Okay. Giving up the old so that you know the truth. Now, there are exceptions to giving up old knowledge for new. in preschool, in preschool, we all learned that, that turning a frog into a prince was a fairy tale. In college, we learned that turning a frog into a prince was science. Ha ha. If we're going to learn new ideas, the old ideas must die. Death to ideas, death to will. Giving up the old ideas, giving up my will, surrender to God and his purposes, his plans, his methods, his priorities, and his agenda. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we don't like giving up control. We want to hang on to control. But our whole life is a process of moving from independence, I don't need God, to dependence. I need God more every day. Letter B, the crops represent different lessons. Crops represent different lessons. A caraway, cumin, wheat, barley, and spelt. They're all planted in different ways. Caraway and cumin are scattered. Wheat is planted in straight rows. See, when God wants to teach us things, he is very specialized in his farming process. He has a method. It's not accidental in how he teaches you and me. Teaching us in very ways, various ways, it may be the head, head knowledge or intellect, it may be the heart or attitude, or the hand, which is action. He specialized in his farming. The letter C, growth happens slow. Growth happens slow. I was eight years old when we first moved to Iowa, and my mother had a great idea to produce fresh vegetables and extend our food budget. Said, we're going to plant a big garden. Well, I, I'd lived in Japan primarily in my early years, and we didn't have a garden. And so all of a sudden, we're doing a garden. I thought, wow, this is, this is cool. So we planted corn and carrots and lettuce and beans and radishes. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but at the end of each row, you put a stake and you put a picture, the picture packet at the end, so you knew what was planted there. Okay, exciting. The very next morning, I ran out to the backyard to see the garden, to see what had happened. And what did I see? I saw nothing. Nothing had grown. I ran in to tell my mom it didn't work. She said, just wait. Just wait and see. It takes time. It takes time. She was right. What, what I didn't realize, it also took weeding. But that was, a, that was a whole different lesson for an eight-year-old kid to learn. Well, the results of God's work in our lives take time. And remember, it takes time for other people, too. Sometimes our expectations of other people, we just expect them to grow. And it takes time. Growth happens slow. And many times we don't see the process of growth since it's hidden under the soil out of sight. Slow. Which brings us to number three, which is waiting. Waiting is faith development, faith development. We cannot rush the maturing process of a plant. One person said, every day has its own amount of growing units. Weather can affect the process, but at the end of the day, I can't change the weather. We're, we're watching these crops out where we live, and we're seeing the corn and the beans and other things, and we're seeing these incredible, this incredible growth um, because of the weather. The weather's been ideal, I, evidently, for corn because it's hot and humid, and just a, a lot of rain, etc. Man, it's just they grow. We can't change the weather. I can't make the process go faster or slower. I can only choose to live today. Everything grows in its proper season, and you cannot force it or, or hurry it on a whim. Harvest does not happen apart from waiting. Harvest does not happen apart from waiting. And we are all waiting. There's, a, there's a, a lady named Margaret Feinberg. And if you ever see something by Margaret Feinberg, buy it. She wrote, Scouting the Divine, My Search for God in Wine, Wool, and Wild Honey. It's a great title. And she writes this. She says, waiting is woven into the fabric of history. God is waiting. Creation is waiting. Humankind is waiting. We are all waiting for redemption, for everything to be put back in its proper place in relationship to God. Did you know that the question, how long, appears more than 50 times in the Bible? You probably, sometimes we use it 50 times in a week, but 50 times in the Bible, the, the phrase, how long, the question, how long? And there are really two weights, the great weight, which is the end of time, the culmination of history, and our personal, our own personal weight. And waiting always leads to the same place, in between, in between. Not fully here, not fully there. Feinberg writes, in between is that place of blind trust where the precepts of faith meet the narrow path of fortitude. And movement is demanded, though there's no definitive place to go but forward. The worst part in between isn't the uncertainty, discouragement, or frustration, but that sometimes I think God likes it when we're there. Humility is created. We throw up prayers of desperation and learn all over again that we're dependent on God. How long, we ask God. And he looks down from heaven, smiles, and schedules another delay. You experience that. So God plows us, then he grows us. After we've grown, God purifies us. This is the purification. This is the transformation or the refining process. Number four, God brought judgment on the nation of Israel for one purpose, to purify them, to purify them from false gods and pride and independence and arrogance to holiness, righteousness, and purity and loyalty to God. In Psalm 15, it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Purification, or the transformation process, is accomplished by God, again, in different ways. He shows, he says, caraway is beaten with a rod, cumin is beaten with a stick. Grain is ground to make bread. So what's the purpose of the separation, or, or the process here? First of all, it's separation, separation. Threshing separates the useless from the useful. It separates the seed from the chaff. The seed is the head of grain that has nutritional value. The chaff is the outer shell that has no use for consumption. Beating the grain up is not to destroy the crop. Some would think that God's judgment was to destroy Israel. But the purpose was purification. It was transformation. Separating the useful from the useless. God threshed Israel through tough times. One writer says this, Afflictions are God's threshing instruments designed to loosen us from the world and separate us between us and our chaff. Again, God uses different instruments and relationships and circumstances and difficult times to accomplish his work in you and me. So many things in our lives hold us back from being all that God wants us to be. And God allows or or brings things into our lives to separate us from the non-essentials, the unimportant. See, God has a purpose for you in your life. He has a legacy for you. He has a hope and a future. But we all need some refinement and purification and transformation before he can really use us fully. Letter B is the breaking. breaking. After the grain is separated from the chaff, it's crushed by a millstone. Why? why? Why the crushing? Well, grain must be further broken down. It's crushed to be made into flour to make bread. In order for the grain to be useful, it has to be broken down further. And God the farmer will allow or bring things into our lives to separate the good from the bad, the useful from the useless, and he loosens us from the world. Sometimes he breaks us so we can be made into something greater. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Isaiah 53, 3-5 says of Jesus, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But... He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus was crushed. He was broken so he could give life. We, too, may need to be broken before God can truly use us. Is that painful? Yes, it is. It is. I want you to notice something. In the process of of the threshing and crushing and breaking of the crops, the crops are never destroyed. They're just transformed. They're changed. It doesn't destroy them. It just changes them. And then comes the rebuilding process. Letter C. Verse 28 says, Grain must be ground to make bread. You don't go on threshing forever. God's work is not to destroy us, but to separate, purify and rebuild. And God knows exactly how much, how much threshing, grinding and rebuilding we need. And then there's a reproduction, letter D. Like grain made into bread gives and sustains life. so God uses us to give life to those around us. Finally, we see God's wisdom in all of this process. Verse 29 says, All this also comes from the Lord Almighty, wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom. Seasons don't last forever. Aren't you glad? I was really glad when winter ended this year. I don't know if you were. It's like, whoa, I I had forgotten what below zero was. You're really glad when spring comes. Summer, uh, most days, this week has been a little much. Okay, seasons don't last forever. Fall, everybody loves fall till it gets cold again. Seasons don't last forever. And God doesn't plow forever. God doesn't plant forever. God doesn't thresh forever. Each has a season. Question is, what season are you in today? Which field is God working on? And what is your response? What's your response? Hebrews 12:11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Righteousness. The whole purpose of God's farming process is righteousness or right relationship with God. Everything he does is redemptive to bring us into that open relationship with God. See, God has a farm. And that's you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us a picture of what it's like to go through difficult times. The plowing, the planting, the purification. All of those things. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts today. That you would encourage us knowing that you have a process. And no matter what season people are in, Every person is in a different season today. And I just pray that you would speak to them about your faithfulness and your process and that their dependence, everybody's dependence be on you. Change us today, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, sure.